Welcome to Words of Grace, radio ministry of Elder Ben Winslet, pastor of the Flint River Primitive Baptist Church near Huntsville, Alabama. We invite you to stay tuned to today's broadcast. Our broadcast today is entitled, We Believe in Election. If you've been with us in recent weeks here on Words of Grace, you'll recall that we are presently undertaking a survey of the Articles of Faith, as we call it, the standard statement of faith of modern primitive Baptist churches, but also Baptist churches of history in the United States. If you're ever curious about what the P in PB stands for, the word primitive was added to our church names to designate Baptists who held to the older ways of the Baptists, the older doctrines and practices of Baptists prior to modern times. Because of that, we're referred to as old-school Baptists, and even the pejorative hardshell is sometimes used to denote an unwillingness to change, a reluctance to change. In this series, I've taken two examples of the Articles of Faith as our source material, the Statement of Faith of Flint River Primitive Baptist Church in Huntsville, Alabama, which was established in 1808 and is recognized as the oldest Baptist church in our state, and also the Ebenezer Primitive Baptist Church in Westover, Alabama, constituted in 1868. Both of these churches are historic. They're very ancient. Ebenezer is where I grew up going to church, and Flint River is where I have pastored since 2006. And again, these two statements are not identical in wording, but they're in agreement in doctrine, and they reflect the two major strains of Baptist statements of faith from the 18th and 19th century, as I have found in my own personal studies. Now, I know this, as I said, through my own personal studies, and this is basically the culmination of my adult life studying Baptist church history and reading the minutes of various associations found in the United States. And as a side point along those lines, if you're interested in this sort of a study, finding Baptist Association minutes from the 18th century, the 19th century, and the early 20th century is a great starting point, as these association minutes were published once a year. Most Baptist churches at that time belonged to associations that were regional, and these minutes always included a list of core doctrines. They also include things such as the rules of decorum for that group, a list of churches, the statistics of each of those congregations within a given year. You have a lot of historical information that are recorded for us in these association minutes. They generally had a circular letter. Sometimes in the circular letter, you would have controversies mentioned and certain things being discussed and expounded upon, elaborated on. So as far as American church history and the history of Baptists in America, using those resources can be very helpful. Today, our focus, as you gathered from the title of today's broadcast, We Believe in Election, our focus has to do with the great doctrine of election. Now, I will concede up front that this concept is one that is considered controversial by a great many Christians at present. I've seen people get so angry at this teaching that they would resort to hurling insults at proponents of it. And when I say that, I've 
been on the receiving end of some of those insults from time to time, especially in Facebook groups, social media groups. People are so cruel online, and they're so much more hostile. They'll say things behind the cover of a keyboard that they would never say face-to-face. And because of that, there are many things that I have been called for simply saying that this is what the Bible teaches. This is controversial. Now, that's really sad. It's so very sad when Christians are so offended at a teaching that they begin to call people vile names and insult the intelligence of other people. And again, these aren't hypotheticals. I've seen them happen. This has happened to me. But what's even more sad than Christians calling each other names is the fact that something so commonly referred to in Scripture would be so controversial among those who name the name of Christ. That is the greater shame. Looking to our articles, today we consider Article 3 of both Flint River Primitive Baptist Church and Ebenezer Primitive Baptist Church. Article 3 in the Flint River Statement of Faith says, We believe in the doctrine of election, that God chose his people in Christ before the foundation of the world. Ebenezer's Statement of Faith is a little bit different, but communicates the exact same point. We believe that God elected or chose his people in Christ before the foundation of the world, that they should be holy and without blame before him in love. So, if you were to put those together, we believe in the doctrine of election— That is to say, God elected or chose, those words are synonyms, chose his people in Christ, both statements have that wording, before the foundation of the world, that they should be holy and without blame before him in love. Now, that last statement, that they should be holy and without blame before him in love, is found in Ebenezer's statement of faith, but that's literally a verbatim quotation of the book of Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 4. That's helpful for us, because for someone to say, well, I find fault with that point, if we're appealing to Scripture and we say that we hold this to be a non-negotiable point, we're not discussing this, this isn't something that we can call to question, this is what our church is founded upon as a founding doctrine, and then appeal to Scripture and say, this is why we believe this, this is why our church is built upon this point of view, this perspective— you're on safer ground. That's safer to do. That's appropriate. That's good. And so I love the fact that these articles of faith that we have so commonly incorporate biblical language. If you remember back to the very first broadcast in this series, we considered the identity of God, that God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and that these three are one. That's literally a quotation of 1 John 5, 7. We're always safe when we're quoting Scripture to prove what it is that we believe about theology. This statement here, we believe that God elected or chose his people in Christ before the foundation of the world, that they should be holy and without blame before him in love. That's literally a paraphrase with a verbatim quotation at the end of Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 4, a passage that we will try to expound upon for you later in today's broadcast. The scriptures are our only rule of faith and practice, And this doctrine of election is expressly biblical. You'll find this doctrine affirmed by an overwhelming majority of Baptists in America until more recent times. And again, if you don't believe me, you can consult historic statements of faith found in the U.S. 
and beyond that, Baptist confessions and catechisms from the United Kingdom in the prior centuries also affirmed this doctrine. This was a part of overall Baptist teaching in the United States and among the powerhouse preachers of the U.K., Modern American Baptists love to quote Charles Spurgeon. He's probably one of the most famous Baptists who has lived, at least in more modern times. And I use that term modern not to mean contemporary, but in recent generations. Charles Spurgeon himself was a huge advocate of this doctrine. You find it affirmed over and over again by the powerhouse preachers of yesteryear among the Baptist faith. And primitive Baptists, being primitive Baptists, uphold this doctrine today. Regarding election, you should know that the word elect is used 17 times in the Bible. As a verb, this word elect means to choose, but it's commonly a noun as it appears in Scripture, meaning those who are chosen, the chosen, the elect. Someone who is elected as president is what? Well, they are chosen by the rules of the law of the land to serve a term as the president of the United States. If you're elected as governor, the citizens of a state have voted and you won the vote. You are now going to be sworn in as the governor. You have been elected. We use this word all the time in the political spectrum. It's actually funny. A few years ago on social media, on Facebook, I ran an advertisement based upon a radio program that I produced on the subject of election. I produced the broadcast, I ran it as an advertisement, and Facebook rejected the ad. And I thought, why is Facebook rejecting the ad? Did I say something politically incorrect in the broadcast? No, as it turns out, the word election flagged their political censors, and to run political advertisements on social media, at that time at least, you had to have certain qualifications and have gone through pre-screenings to make sure that it wasn't spam or some sort of misinformation campaign or something such as that. I appealed that ruling to have a set of human eyes look on it instead of the algorithm that flagged it and rejected it, and they realized that it was a religious context that had nothing to do with the political election, and they let me run that advertisement on social media. We know what the word elect means. We just use it in a different context every day. It's simply a word that means to choose or those who have been chosen. The word elected occurs one time. The word election occurs six times in the Bible. Jesus referred to the elect in the Gospels, notably in the Olivet Discourse, but think about this as he does, and we will look at this in a moment. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all record his words, and so because of that, Matthew, Mark, and Luke also teach election and affirm election. So Jesus taught it. Matthew, Mark, and Luke taught it. Paul used the word in multiple epistles, in multiple places. Peter used the word in his epistles, and John used the word in his epistles too. So you have all four gospel writers who taught this concept, and the gospel of John is very rich with statements of God's sovereign grace, his sovereignty and salvation, his election, even though John doesn't use that particular term in his gospel account. But Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Paul, and Peter all use this word. And in the book of Jude, there's a statement in which Jude says that we were sanctified by God the Father 
preserved by Christ and called, and that statement, sanctified by God the Father, would have reference to the election as God the Father set us apart for holy usage before the foundation of the world. The election was a sanctifying, in effect. We were sanctified, set apart to be holy by God before the foundation of the world. So even though Jude didn't use the language itself, he certainly taught that as a principle. So think about it. Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Peter, Paul, and Jude all taught this concept. So maybe you don't believe me. Maybe you think I'm making that up. Let's take a survey. Let's look at at least one occurrence of this word by the people that I have just referenced. The first one that we'll look at is Matthew chapter 24 and verse 24. You can fact check me. I don't mind. What does Matthew 24, 24 say? Now, this is Jesus speaking, but it's Matthew writing. And so you have a two-for-one as it relates to affirmation of concept here. There shall arise false Christs and false prophets, and shall show great signs and wonders, inasmuch that, if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. Jesus is warning that there will be false Christs who come into the world, and if it's possible, they'll deceive the elect themselves. That's what the very elect has reference to. The elect themselves, the very elect. That's not teaching that some people are barely elect, others are very elect, but the very elect means the actual elect. There will be people out there, and if it's possible, they'll deceive you too. That's what Jesus is saying. And so you have what here? You have usage of the word election. Now that's from the Olivet Discourse, and it's a very interesting passage of Scripture, but we're not looking at those passages today in depth, what we're doing is showing you where this word elect is used and how it is used by all of these different Bible writers. In Mark 13 and verse 27, the Son of Man shall send his angels and shall gather together his elect, his what? His elect from the four winds, from the uttermost part of the earth to the uttermost part of heaven, The Son is going to, in the last day, come back and send His angels to gather up the elect. That's how we meet them together in the sky. We don't have wings. We're not just going to float. The angels are going to carry us up. He's going to send His angels to gather His elect. Jesus here in Mark 13 is teaching a lesson about the end state of the elect. But you can't have this statement without there being an elect for the angels to gather. And since Mark records Jesus saying it, once again, you have that two-for-one where you know the Bible writer believed the concept, and the Lord of the Bible writer taught the concept as well. Luke chapter 18 and verse 7. This is the conclusion of the parable of the unjust judge. The first purpose of this parable is to teach Jesus' disciples that they ought to always pray and never to faint, and then Jesus teaches a parable about a woman that comes to an unjust judge over and over and over and asks for his help to avenge her. And finally, because he's just tired of listening to her, he answers, he gives her that which she asks for. And he comes to the conclusion of this and says, Shall not God avenge his own elect, which cry unto him night and day, though he bear long with them? I tell you, he will avenge them speedily. Well, this begins with an exhortation to pray, and then it ends with the promise that God will avenge these people who are calling out to him. But did you notice what he called them? Jesus calls them his elect. God shall avenge his own elect, which cry day and night unto him, 
as we read here in Luke chapter 18. Guess what that means? This means that Luke believed and taught the doctrine of election as well. Let's look to the writings of the Apostle Paul. The most notable place for us to look as we think about the doctrine of election in Paul's writings would either be Ephesians chapter 1 or Romans chapter 8. We'll turn to Romans chapter 8, but not the passage you might anticipate. You'd probably expect me to go to verses 28 and 29. These passages teach election. They teach that God foreknew, predestinated, called, justified, and will glorify you. But I want you to notice what Paul wrote in verse 33. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. God that justifies whom? His elect. And so who's going to condemn us? Who's going to lay anything to our charge? God justified us. Now, just think about what we've read about the elect in these passages so far. There are people that want to deceive us. The angels will gather us in the last day after the resurrection. God will avenge us, and no one can lay anything to our charge because God has justified us. Titus chapter 1, clear other end of the epistles of Paul in your Bible. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect— It is the elect who are given faith, and the acknowledging of the truth which is after godliness, listen, in hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. You are elect because God, which cannot lie, promised salvation to you before the world began. That is an affirmation of election once again. Sometimes this theology is blamed on Paul by Bible critics. I've seen it happen. And thinking back, there was a man I knew years and years ago who said if he reads something in Paul, he tries to find it somewhere else because he just doesn't trust Paul if somebody else doesn't corroborate. And I would tell such a person that feels that way that they need to repent of their unbelief because this is Scripture. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God, and Peter actually says what Paul wrote is Scripture when he says that people wrestled with what Paul had written in Second Peter chapter 3 and verse 16. So, Peter says Paul's writings are Scripture. You can believe what Paul says. But it's beautiful to see this in all of these other epistles and gospel accounts as well from all of these other writers. In 1 Peter chapter 1, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the stranger scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God, through sanctification of the Spirit unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace unto you and peace be multiplied. Peter here affirms a belief in the doctrine of election. And this is not the only reference to election in the writings of the Apostle Peter. For instance, turn over to 1 Peter 5 and verse 13. The church that is at Babylon, elected together with you, saluteth you, and so does Marcus, my son. The church at Babylon is what? Elected with his audience. All of God's people are elected. That's why you are a part of a church, because God first elected you before the foundation of the world. You wouldn't have an interest in Christ if you were not regenerated. You wouldn't be regenerated if you were not redeemed. You wouldn't be redeemed if you were not elected. These are connected in the Word of God. And then lastly, to give you one more Bible writer who uses this term elect or election or elected, the Second epistle of John, the elder unto the elect lady and her children, 
This is either a woman who is elect, who has children, or it is a church. And my personal feeling is that this is written to a church who's an elect lady. The church is the bride of Christ, and so it makes sense that individual churches would be considered elect ladies, and then her children would be the disciples who meet there in that assembly. But John is an elder who writes to the elect lady and her children. John uses the term elect in his writings as well. So given that Jesus taught election, Matthew taught election, Mark taught election, Luke taught election, John taught election, Paul taught election, Peter taught election, and Jude taught election. I want you to notice this statement in 1 Thessalonians 1. Paul says in verse 4, Knowing, brethren, beloved, your election of God. It is no wonder that they knew their election of God when so many Bible writers taught on this subject. It's an absolute shame that more Christians do not know and believe this doctrine. Moving on, the place to look in Scripture for the most clear, concise explanation of election is Ephesians 1.4, which is actually quoted verbatim in the article that I read for you today, or the articles that I shared with you today from the two churches as we have used those articles in this series. Ephesians 1.4 says, "...according as He, the Father, has chosen us in Him, which is to say Christ." before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Now, the us there, the we there, has reference to the Apostle Paul, the saints which are at Ephesus, and the faithful in Christ Jesus. So, someone might say, well, that's only the apostles. No, included in that we are more than the apostles. They might say, well, that's only the Jews. But there are Jews that are not elect. They're of their father, the devil, according to Jesus in John chapter 8. They might say, well, that's only the saints at Ephesus. No, there's more included in this us than just the saints at Ephesus. Notice this in verse 1, to the faithful in Christ Jesus. Paul, the church at Ephesus, which, by the way, was a Gentile church, and all the faithful in Christ Jesus are people who were elected by God the Father before the foundation of the world. Elected to what? That they should be holy and without blame before him in love. How is it that they're holy and without blame before him in love? Jesus died for them and took away their sin. I want everybody under the sound of my voice to be holy as it relates to their practical godliness. But listen, your holiness before God is through the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ. Not your repentance, not your choice to follow him. Your holiness in God's sight is because Jesus suffered for you and paid your penalty and gave you his righteousness and you're vitally holy, you have holiness in you today because Jesus took residence in your heart. You are holy through Christ. How awesome is that? God chose you. He elected you before the foundation of this world, before creation itself, to salvation. Do note, election is only in the positive in God's Word. God did not choose people to damnation, but God chose people to salvation. Those not elected are left where Adam placed them and where they spend their lives wallowing in sin and rebellion. There is a hell because people earn their way there. People who end up punished for their iniquities are so because they are sinners. It is punitive. That is what we all deserve. God's choice of a people rescues folks from that. But God doesn't have to elect people to condemnation because we're condemned in Adam. 
By one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin. We are all condemned because we are Adam multiplied. We are exactly what Adam was when he conceived his first children, that is to say, sin and sinners. Also worth noting, sometimes people believe that the election was based upon foreseen merit in the person, but we should understand that Romans chapter 9 says that the children being not yet born, neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works, but of him that calleth. It was said unto her, the elder shall serve the younger, as it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. Romans 9 says, election is not based upon foreseen merit of God. In fact, if God were to look down upon humanity, since we are all sinners, dead in trespasses and in sins, do you know what he would find? He would find a creation in which every human being rejected him. Psalm 14 in verse 2 says, The Lord looked down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there were any that did understand and did seek God. They are all gone aside. They are altogether become filthy. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. So if God does look down from heaven, he's not going to find any merit to elect people based upon, because we're all gone out of the way. We're all gone aside. There's none that understands. This psalm and its message would be reiterated in Psalm 53. The exact same statement is in Psalm 53, verse 2. Now, election is something that is reflected in Jesus' statements on his mission. We emphasized these in a series on these passages last year, and I would encourage you to go back and listen to that series on Sovereign Grace Statements from the Gospel of John. But Jesus came to die for those the Father had given him. In John 6, Jesus said he came down from heaven, not to do his own will, but the will of the Father which had sent him. And this is the will of the Father, that of all which he hath given Christ, Christ should lose nothing, but raise it up again at the last day. That's John six thirty nine. In John chapter 10, Jesus says, My Father which gave them me, referring to his sheep, is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. Jesus says, My people were given to me by my Father. John 17, verse 2, Jesus praying to his Father says, As thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. Election explains what this concept of the Father giving the Son a people means. So this is certainly scriptural. Even the very information of the gospel itself, Jesus saved his people from their sins. His Father gave him these people before the creation of the universe. I want to answer three objections as we bring our broadcast today to a close. First of all, someone might say, is this unfair? Paul anticipated that in Romans 9 when he said, what shall we say? Is there unrighteousness with God? God forbid. Is this unfair? Well, fairness would be all of humanity being punished for eternity. You don't want fairness. We don't want fairness. We don't want what we deserve. We want mercy and grace. Objection number two, does this stifle evangelism? No, this doesn't stifle evangelism because some of the greatest spreaders of the gospel have been believers in this doctrine. If anything, the doctrine of election fuels evangelism because we know there will be a people to reach with the gospel because God has chosen people in Christ from all over the globe. And number three, does this imply a small family of God, the 
us four and no more frozen chosen caricature of election a thousand times no those in heaven are described in revelation 5 and revelation 7 as an innumerable host of people out of every nation kindred people and tongue they're saved because the father elected them the son redeemed them and the spirit regenerated them god elected a huge family If this is what the Bible teaches, it's our obligation to study it, to submit to it, and to embrace it, and we'll be blessed in doing so. Again, I'm Ben Winslet, thanking you for listening to Words of Grace today, inviting you to write and let me know that you've received today's broadcast, and also to tune in again next week at this time. Until then, may the Lord's richest blessings be yours, is my prayer. If you enjoy the messages you hear on Words of Grace, consider this your invitation to visit a Primitive Baptist Church in your community. An online directory is available at marchtozion.com. Copies of this and other broadcasts are available for download on iTunes and on our website. And finally, Words of Grace is a listener-supported program. To contact us, address your correspondence to... Words of Grace Radio, 641 Moontown Road, Brownsboro, Alabama, 35741. Or visit us online at flintriverpbc.org.